This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Pre-recorded from Joe's mom's basement, it's a rewind episode of the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin the Intern, or like the guys down at the farmer's market like to call me, the Fintern. I had to cancel buying my fruit and vegetables for my cleanse this week because Joe called and reminded me that I'm in the driver's seat while he and OG hide the 4th of July fireworks from Doug. We definitely don't want to repeat what happened last year. When I arrived, all the lights were off and the doors were locked, but I'm dedicated enough that I snuck through the window by the furnace to put on this excellent episode called Rocking Your Debt Cleanse with Nick Clemens and Mandy Woodruff, plus Tiff the Budgetnista. In case you were starting to worry about all that debt that the plastic buddy in your wallet has been building up, this episode has got you covered with lots of advice about finally getting rid of that credit card debt once and for all. Side note, remember that this episode is from early 2017, so if they talk about markets, stocks, or giveaways, lots has changed since then. Although, sadly, debt is still debt, which is why I thought this would be a great episode for today. Enjoy the show! Now it's time for me to try to find another way out of the basement. Fin turn out. You heard of this thing, the eight minute abs? Yeah, sure, eight minute abs. Yeah, the uh, exercise video. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, this is gonna blow that right out of the water. Listen to this seven minute abs. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, money fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we're... Oh, hey, there's that stack of mail. I've been looking all over for that. Just a moment, folks. i got to open my credit card bill here. Mother f- I spent that much on those rubber boot liners? I thought I'd finance those over 36 months. Well, thank goodness today we're talking about debt cleansing with the co-host of the Brown Ambition Podcast and the new executive editor at Magnify Money, Mandy Woodruff. Plus, Mr. Magnify Money himself, Nick Clements. And the woman who's teaching people to live richer, the budget nista, Tiffany Aliche. Also, Devin Carroll and his friend Matilda will share another popular phrase in French. We talk 401ks, Joe throws out the Haven Lifeline, I bring you trivia, and more. And here they are, two guys who could use a good cleanse after that horrible New Year's party. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. New Year's party? I didn't think Doug was even invited. We really must have had a party if we're still doing a cleanse on the 12th or whatever day it is. Hey, everybody. Hi, hey, I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. It's only the 11th. You're getting ahead of yourself, man. We, ah, shoot. Okay. Yeah, but that's the way life is, isn't it? It's hard to figure out what day it is. 
down here in the basement is we're grinding out. It's always out. dark. It's just pitch black down here. You got the, the curtains over those little windows that, you know, you can kind of see some sunlight from time to time. You can't see the calendar from here. Have you ever heard that Emo Phillips bit about his parents? No, I haven't because I don't know who he is. You don't you don't know who Emo Phillips? Oh, just no, a, we've been down this like five years ago. Oh, have we really? We talked about this. Yeah. Emo Phillips' parents told him, don't go near the cellar door. Do not go near the cellar door. He's like, so when I was 21, I finally decided, you know what? I'm an adult. I can go near the cellar door. He's like, so I opened that cellar door and I saw things, weird things that you could never believe, like trees and the sun and... <laughs> Just fantastic stuff. But you know what he didn't see? He didn't see SoFi.com because when you head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi, he would have been even more amazed, OG, that he could have gotten this debt cleanse we're going to talk about today with Nick and Mandy and Tiffany. He could have gotten that under control because part of what you have to do to get rid of your debt is to refinance that debt to a lower interest rate. So if you've got student loans or if you have credit card debt, why not consolidate those? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SOFI. The leader in marketplace lending very quickly will tell you how easy it is to work with them. And you know what will happen then? Then you'll find yourself dancing all the way to lower interest rates. And I'll tell you what, they're going to throw in 100 bucks because you used our link. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SOFI. That's the way it works. And we're so happy to have SOFI on board. I'm also happy that we've got a fantastic show you know, Nick, as you know, OG, because for the many times Nick's been on, new listeners may not know that our sponsor, Magnify Money, their CEO, Nick Clements, is phenomenal radio. And that's the reason why we asked him to be our sponsor, partly but because they, A, have a great product, but B, this guy is a former credit card insider. He knows all the dirty tricks, and he's coming down to the basement again to share with people how to get rid of that pile of credit card debt that you created. And believe it or not, I was reading this, just trying to prep for when they come down to the basement. People piled on a bunch of credit card debt, OG, over the holidays. It's, it's horrible. You, you might as well. Man. That's what the credit's for, right? Dude, I mean, it's like why, we why, learned... why do you have... Hold on, let me open my drawer here. Why you got this stack right here if you're never going to use it? Yeah, if you're not going to run them up. dust. I know, you got to run I mean, those babies up. It's like we learned nothing from from the crisis, right? From like yeah. were, were, were none of these people around in 2008? None of them. Like how am I supposed to tell Citibank how much I like and appreciate their card if I don't actually use it? Cuz that's the only way that you can you can tell them, right? Is by using the card and then not paying it off. I mean, think about all the people starving at Citibank, all those jobs you're keeping. I know. Uh, well, it you know me, I am very altruistic. So I'm all about helping the common man. The common and, city uh, bank man. The common city bank man. Yes. Yep. And yes. the common American Express man and the common Visa man. If you can help them all. And, uh, I mean, look at that, Jamie. Spread the love. Right. Look at Jamie Diamond over at Chase. Doesn't that guy look like he needs more food? <laughs> like a bath is oh, what he needs, doesn't he? Horrible. He's all stinky. Uh, How, I mean, you think, hey, it's all great when you live in like a 20,000 square foot house, you know, in New York, but. You know, yeah, that takes a lot of upkeep. I mean, everybody's talking about how he makes $40 million a year or whatever. But <laughs> let me tell you something. He needs to make that $40 Absolutely. Because he spends 39 of it on dry cleaning. And and his driver. Those drivers geez. aren't cheap, man. I mean, seriously, you got to get a, you got one for your helicopter, your jet. You need a couple of drivers for your jet. We got to get moving before somebody takes us seriously. We got some great headlines Wait, coming up. Serious? <laughs> Let's move. 
Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. First headline comes to us from Inc. and our friend Suzanne Lucas, the evil HR lady in the news. <laughs> yes. 30 million Americans don't have access to a retirement plan. In fact, the inspiration for this comes to Suzanne from another article which is in the Wall Street Journal. The champions of the 401k lament the revolution they started. Basically, the 401k people, this made a big ripple. Our friend Mark sent this to us, uh, said, hey, maybe you guys want to talk about this. And Suzanne said, okay, I will. And I'm, like, I'm on board with that too. But they talk about the retirement dilemmas caused by accounts that rise and fall with the markets instead of defined benefit accounts. And obviously, that has not gone the way that uh, a lot of people wanted and Suzanne says, you know whose problem that is, OG? That's ours. Numero uno. There's only one person who can make that better. Regardless of the fact that it is not the way anybody wanted it to be, only one person can make it better, and it's you. Well, except I don't feel that it's actually bad. I mean, I understand the fact that, you know, what the article, the 401k people were saying were they thought that more people would take, you know, take the ownership of it, right? Like they would embrace the new change and everybody just got real lazy for about 30 some odd years and went, well, if nobody else is saving for my retirement, man, I don't really need to either. Right. And, um, and that's the problem with it. But the nice thing about being in control of it is, um, you're in control of it. Yeah. 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 You don't have to get some pretty great benefits if you actually do what you're supposed to do. And God forbid you started a little early, like in your twenties. And Suzanne talks about how great pensions seem to be. She says it's great that they pay out guaranteed amounts upon retirement, but you need to remember the pension accounts also rise and fall with the markets. It's just that the current crop of retirees aren't punished. You can see examples of underfunded pensions all over, but especially in government pensions. California has a $241.3 billion unfunded pension liability as of 2014. And she says, no matter what HR departments have promised, if the money isn't there to pay out the defined benefit, it ain't going to be there. So I I would say that sometimes the current retirees are affected. I mean, you see some of these um, municipalities that are cutting existing pensioners benefits. And you're right. I think it, it ends up being more on the people who are like the next tier you know, right there about to get their benefits. And then they find out, well, it's not going to be as rosy as it is. But you got to think about how all this was started, right? I mean, it really made sense to have a pension when your life expectancy was 65 and you worked until you're 67. You know, that that really benefited everybody, you know. But now that your life expectancy is closing in on 90, even if the pension still existed, they still wouldn't be in the same form or fashion because most of them don't take into account the rising costs of retirement. So, right. You got to take ownership of your own stuff. Inc., of course, is read by a lot of small, medium-sized business owners. And Suzanne says fixing this problem will make your employees happier, more productive. And definitely, if you have a small business, there's a lot of things that you can do. She talks to two people in this article. The first gentleman, uh, Jonathan Lakowitz at White Lighthouse, an investment management firm. He says that as an employer setting up a retirement plan, you should have a good mix of low-cost index ETFs uh, from providers like Vanguard or iShares and giving that extra incentive for an employer match can help create good habits. 
And that makes it so people don't want, uh, you know, aren't thinking about their money problems while they're at work. A lot of employers don't think about that. If your person that's working for you is worried all day about how the bills are going to get paid, you're going to see that in their performance. So employers yeah. have a vested interest in making this happen. She also references a second guy, Joe Saul Sehi from top-rated podcast Stacking Benjamins. Never heard of him. Isn't that wild? Isn't it funny? They how spelled I- my name wrong. <laughs> Right. Again. <laughs> well, they pronounce mine wrong in this, and I'm just reading it. I can't pronounce that last name. Uh, and I say in this article that retirement planning is a combination of finding a good provider and education. On the provider side, we've had some of these fintech people on OG that are doing awesome stuff like For Us All. Those guys are uh, putting low-cost instruments inside of small 401ks and small retirement plans. And we had the guys on from Bloom that if you mm-hmm. don't want to do it by yourself, just, you know, Bloom will charge you next to nothing to, you know, use modern portfolio theory. You're not going to get wealthy using Bloom, but you're also not going to do what most people do, just step in, you know, you're not going to step in it. And by not get wealthy, I mean, you're not going to see these gigantic returns well, well above the stock market, but nobody gets those returns anyway. Nobody gets them. Yeah. 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 The average investor return is three or four or 5% below the S&P anyway, believe it's, it or not. It's crazy. But then this phenomenal contributors article, me, I say that uh, education, though, is far more important. Like those things are nice, but educating people about how money works through lunch and learns. You and I used to both go to companies and give lunch and learns. Have you done any of that lately? Um, No, I did a a pretty lengthy round of uh, dinner workshops, kind of like a lunch and learn, I guess. But it was, uh, you know, for other companies that couldn't break during the day, basically. But I haven't done the lunch and learn thing in a while. Yeah, those were always fun. And I would always love it when, you know, we just have kind of an ask me anything. I'd go to yeah. a company and people would sit and yeah. ask me. Bring a bunch in 20 of pieces and go, fire away your questions. Yeah. Right here. yeah. yeah what, do you need? Mm-hmm. what do you got? So we'll link to this article in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. In our second headline, we are going to teach you some more popular French phrases. I know this is important to people. People are traveling more and more, OG. I'm going to France in a couple of months. So, well, you need to listen. So our friend Matilda and Devin Carroll, financial planner Devin Carroll from the Big Picture Retirement Podcast. Let's uh, have them help us with a little French. Bonjour. Welcome to French Made Easy with me, your host, Matilda. Today, I'm joined by certified financial planner Devin Carroll, and together we will share a popular and simple French phrase so you too can use it in your own life. Sound easy? Sure. Today's phrase is valuable when you meet your friend Nina for drinks. Try saying this. Nina, can I pay for this foie gras with my health savings account? In French, you would say this popular phrase just like this. Nina, Est-ce que je peux payer ce foie gras avec mes économies d'assurance vie? Once again. Nina, est-ce que je peux payer ce foie gras avec mes économies d'assurance vie? Now, let's hear certified financial planner Devin Carroll try it. Ready, Devin? Okay. Nina, est-ce que je peux payer ce foie gras avec mes économies d'assurance vie? <laughs> I think I got it. Perfect! See how we sound almost exactly alike? You too can speak French easily and comfortably listening to Stacking Benjamins. See you next time. Au revoir. Big thanks to Devin Carroll from the brand new Big Picture Retirement Podcast for helping us. They did. They sounded identical. 
couldn't even tell the difference between the two of them. It is so amazing. So I think our lessons are, number one, if you uh, meet Nina, ask her if you can pay for the foie gras with your health savings account and uh, use Devin's perfect French to help you. And then I think uh, the second lesson is no retirement plan at work. Still lots of lobby for one, still your responsibility. Lots, lots of other instruments you can use an IRA, Roth IRA, lots of ways to get there. Go get it. Nick Clements has worked all over the world. He has been in Russia, big travel place for us. And also he's worked in Europe. He's worked on Wall Street. This gentleman knows all the dirty secrets of credit cards. And he knows that uh, life is not uh, fun if you're somebody trying to compete with the credit card industry. Because believe it or not, OG, they always have a way to beat you. Shock of shocks. They have a big plan for your money. And also with him, the co-host of the Brown Ambition podcast and the former Miss Yahoo Finance, Mandy Woodruff, coming down to the basement. She, of course, six months ago decided that uh, being the executive editor for Magnify Money as they begin doing more investigative reporting, digging deep into not just what's going on in the credit card industry, but what's going on in other areas. Magnify Money is going to be exposing some dirt here in the next year, and I can't wait to see them bring some of this stuff out and out from the shadows. So let's say hello to them, Nick Clements and Mandy Woodruff from Magnify Money. Clements and Mandy Woodruff. Welcome to the basement, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, Mandy, let's talk about you because, as we said in our introduction, you haven't been with Magnify Money all that long. How's the housewarming been there at Magnify Money? How are you enjoying it? Well, as I'm sitting next to the co-founder and my (laughs) boss, um, it's amazing. It's the best ever. (laughs) It's the best job I've ever had. In fact, I'll probably retire here. Um, no, it really is. It was. It, it had to be something really special to pull me away from I, where I was pretty happy at Yahoo and Yahoo Finance and loved everyone there. And, you know, but it was a really interesting opportunity. And I'd known Nick, you know, from the FinCon community for a little while. And it was just really interesting. And it's been very challenging and super fun. But I love the mission and the purpose of Magnify Money. I couldn't be happier to be here. Well, let's talk for a second about that mission, Mandy, because, you know, I know that there's some things that I've been told by Nick that I can't even know, but you guys have some stuff up your sleeve, some real investigative stuff where you're going to go deep on what's really the dirty underbelly of uh, of finance. Yeah, it's been really fun. You know, as a personal finance reporter, I was always the one personal finance reporter on a team of many other very serious journalists. And there wasn't really a lot of resources dedicated to what I thought was a really important beat and many sub beats. I mean, personal finance is such a huge topic. So one of the first things I wanted to do here was hopefully build a team of reporters who can who are only focusing on personal finance and really focusing on issues that are impacting people's wallets. And we just hired a really established journalist to kind of come and and take over a story we're working on on subprime auto lending. And I'm really excited about the potential there, you know, just kind of giving someone freedom to spend a few months digging into a, you know, a personal finance story is something that doesn't happen in a lot of traditional newsrooms. So yeah, I can't wait to see what's to come. I can't wait to have you back on to talk about subprime auto lending because on Monday's show, OG and I were talking about his experience just recently buying a minivan and trying to buy cash and they're trying to 
get him to finance it and all the dirty tricks that were going on there. So that's, that's going to be fun. But Nick, there's some bad stuff happening here with people's wallets. It seems you guys did a survey, I guess, in uh, just recently showing that credit card debt in America ballooned over the last month. Before we even get to our survey, if you just look in aggregate, you know, we've got over, you know, trillions of dollars of consumer debt outstanding. And it's not like the U.S. credit card debt was small to begin with. But in aggregate over the last couple of years, it has really started to accelerate its growth. And I think the leading indicators we've all seen of that is whenever you're shopping online, you'll see ads for credit cards. Your mailbox, if you actually open it, has probably been a lot more full in the last two years than the prior years with credit card offers. And the quality of the offers, I mean, everyone was talking about the 100,000-point giveaway, but that's just a symptom of an increasingly aggressive marketing effort by by credit card issuers as they come out of the 2008 recession and as they stand as you know the big, most profitable business lines of banks. So, so basically you have, you know, in the macro level, you have lots of credit card issuers out there making ever sweeter offers and spending ever more money to market those offers. And I think what we're starting to see now at the micro level is people are taking them and they're spending. And unfortunately there's a segment of people that's going into debt as a result. And, and if we look at the, the average holiday debt of people borrowing money, and this is an annual survey we do at Magnify Money, but in 2016, People who borrowed money to finance their uh, their Christmas gifts or holiday gifts on plastic spent a thousand and three dollars compared to you know nine hundred and eighty six a year ago. Wow! Uh, and that's just their holiday debt. So there's there's definitely an increased willingness of people to start spending money they don't have using plastic. Mandy, so those credit card bills are coming in right now, and we're we're looking at a at a credit card hangover. Let's talk about the long-term effect of that for a second. If we don't get that under control right away, what do you see the dominoes that happen down the road to people? Well, I think, first of all, one of the most disturbing parts of of our survey for me was that nearly two-thirds of people who said they took on debt also said they weren't planning on it. And I think that is just a recipe for disaster in a lot of cases. Um, You know, it's the last-minute shopping spree. It's the unexpected guest. It's the, you know, bum tire in the snow. And I think if people would be a little bit more prepared by having – you know, funds set aside over the year, we could probably avoid this kind of debt. But on top of that, like you said, debt can easily, it doesn't have to be a problem. But what happens is people think, well, I'll just make the minimum payment. It'll be fine. But if people were to make the minimum payment on a thousand dollar debt that we're talking about, you know, with a typical APR today, it could take them nearly five years to pay it down. Over that time, they're going to be paying over $400 in additional interest fees. And that's where we talk about the debt spiral. And that's where it becomes not just this year's problems, but next year's problem. And then you're taking out more credit because you max out that card and just goes on and on. Pretty bad. What is the average interest rate, Mandy, on the credit card debt in America? Do you know what that number is? I believe it's around 16%. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's a trick question because, okay. you know, when, as a, and I'll say that as a former credit card <laughs> exec, the interest rate really only matters if you are paying interest, right? And the credit card companies use something called risk-based pricing. And so, Effectively, if you are the least likely to borrow, you're going to have some of the lowest rates out there. So when you see average rates, you may see things from the Federal Reserve where the average interest rate on a credit card is like 11 or 12 percent. That's if you just add up every everyone's interest rate and take the average. But the way the pricing works is if you are someone with meaningful credit card debt and highly likely to revolve on an existing credit card, you're going to see anywhere from you know 16 to up to 24.9 interest rates pretty regularly. And so that average number can be very misleading because if you pay your statement balance in full and on time every month, 
you pay no interest and the interest rate doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you've got a, a 9% or a 10% interest rate. So let me see if I got this right. You're saying that on outstanding balances on cards, that number that you're talking about, 16%, the real number is much, much higher than that? The 16, 17% is probably a good indicator okay. for people who are in debt and paying interest. I mean, if you go to the Fed's website, you'll see an average rate of like 12% or something like uh, that. Okay. But the reason you'll see that 12% is there's a whole lot of people who have credit cards with low interest rates, but, but actually never borrow on them. And if you're a cynical credit card executive and you want to manage down your average interest rate to display to regulators, you just go out and you significantly reduce interest rates on people who never borrow. Well, so sad. You talk about people, Mandy, having no plan, and it's kind of shocking that people didn't plan to have that debt. How do we start to change things? I'm thinking about, you know, the banks, when I was a, a kid, had these Christmas clubs. They probably still do. Do we start saving now for next year's holiday season? How do we get out of that cycle? If you're super nerdy like me, yeah, you have a Christmas savings account that you've named specifically for Christmas gifts. I mean, I was bragging about buying gifts in August because that's just how you know, on top of it, I try to be because I know what it's like when it's November and you're like, holy crap, I've got five siblings and, you know, parents and it gets out of control. But I think if you just start putting aside, you know, 50 bucks every couple of weeks, a hundred bucks a month, whatever you can afford um, into, you know, a savings account, you'll be much better prepared. Maybe you won't have enough for everything next year, but you'll, you'll have a leg up and, and start shopping early too, so that you're not using just that one last paycheck of the year and you're maxing out your paycheck and having to, you know, borrow on top of that paycheck. I think one thing that gets ignored too, is that a lot of people who don't have salary jobs who are working part-time may see their hours cut over the holidays or have time off. And that means, you know, they have to anticipate those lower earnings later on in the year. Yeah. Cause it's not always increased expenses. It's lower cash coming in. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, when it comes to paying down these balances and the 16% rate that I'm paying out versus building the Christmas club, like Mandy's talking about, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing. Which of those two do I do? I do Because if I put money in a savings account and I use magnify money, maybe I'm finding what 1.1 right now out there versus, you know, the credit card at 16. Most people will tell you, well, I'm just going to put all my money toward paying off the credit card and I'll take out a little more debt next Christmas. Yeah. And, and I think part of it is, do you want to have your cake and eat it too? I mean, we, we all just need to get a little bit realistic about how much we make and what we can afford to buy. When I worked at Barclays and would come home for Christmas, I can tell you my family members receive much better gifts than they get from me now. <laughs> yeah. So maybe they jab you the first time and say, oh, are you, are you making less money now? Um, just because they would have liked a better gift, but they get over it and move on. And they probably don't even remember what I bought them last year anyway. So I, I think to, to a certain extent, I need to be the Scrooge here and just say, if you can't afford it, don't buy it and get over it. Right. And so if, if we talk about, all right, so what do we do now? Right. I strongly recommend that you go after the high interest rate debt first. I mean, everyone should have a little bit of cash set aside in case there's an emergency, a few thousand bucks. But once once you have that, if you've got high interest rate credit card debt, you should be doing everything you can to attack and eliminate that as quickly as possible. And that's really what we're trying to get people to focus on in, in January. Let's talk about that for a second, Mandy. The high interest rate debt that Nick's talking about, pay it down, but consolidation loans, do you like consolidating that to a consolidation loan better? Or do you like going after maybe a 0% credit card that is 0% for three months or six months? It gives me some time without, without any interest at all. So maybe I'll, uh, I'll give my two cents right. and then Andy can tell me if, uh, if I'm wrong. He's the balance transfer king. So <laughs> awesome. I'm yeah. I, I love balance transfers, but before any of that, before you do anything, and that's what, what sort of the, the debt guy that we released the second version now, before you do anything, you need to understand how did I get into this debt to begin with? 
and have I solved that core problem? Because the real danger of 0% transfers or consolidation loans or anything else that cuts the rate and restructures your debt, if you haven't solved the underlying problem, which is why are you adding money to your debt every month? If you don't solve that, then you can actually just dig yourself a deeper hole. Because if you take a 0% offer and your monthly payments go down as a result, if you just keep adding more and more debt because you've now got that extra money, you could end up in worse shape. So what I strongly advise everyone is before you even get into how do I get my interest rate down, are you 100% confident that you've solved your budget issue? And that budget issue, it could be easy. You just spend too much on restaurants, so you're going to have to cut back. Or it could be really hard. You bought a house you couldn't afford. The mortgage payment's too high. You either need tenants or you need to sell and downsize. Sometimes that is the type of conversation you need to have because if you're at a point now where 60 70% of your monthly income is going to the mortgage because you earn less now than you did before, you're never going to get out of that unless you solve the underlying spending and budgeting issue. So it starts with a budget. But if you've got that in place and you say, you know what, I'm not going to be adding anymore. And in fact, I'm ready to now pay this stuff off. That's where finding ways to get the interest rate lower is a great thing to do. There's nothing cheaper than 0%. So that's why I'm a huge fan of balance transfers. There is no fee, no interest, 15 months. The savings can be hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And so typically I, I, I advise people if your scores 680, 700 or higher, and you've got a manageable amount of debt and your budget's in, in good shape, then you should go and try to take advantage of the 0% balance transfer offers that are out there. If you have more debt than, you know, 10 to 15,000, if you've got quite a bit of debt and or your score is, a, you know, a little bit lower then a personal loan to consolidate the credit cards might be the better option because there are still companies like Lending Club and others out there that can give you rates that are maybe 30% lower than a credit card. Wow. So that's great. But, you know, zero is still the cheapest. There's nothing better than zero. So if you can get a zero offer and you have the discipline, that's the place to start. But if you don't have the score or you just have too much debt relative to your income, a personal loan might be still a better option. Well, and I love what you said first there, Nick, which is take care of your budget first because, you and I have both seen that horror story where people want to take care of the interest rate first and then they just end up with more and more credit cards and it gets out of control. And there's a real sense, a false sense of, a, of accomplishment. That, and that's the worst. It's right. like, and I've seen this firsthand, right? People spend, they don't budget, spend and then wait to see what happened. And then in January, feel like, oh, I need to take care of this. And rather than dealing with the issue, they'll do a balance transfer and they'll see they're now at a 0% interest rate. And you can just see the excitement. It's like, oh, okay, I took <laughs> care of my debt problem. Like, no, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you did nothing. You haven't even started, you, right? You haven't even started. So that's why I just get nervous because the way the minimum due on a credit card is calculated, it's usually 1% to 2% of the principal plus any interest that accrues. So the minute you go to a 0% offer, there's no interest, which means your monthly payment will go down. So if you don't have the self-discipline, right? And I've seen this happen too many times. You don't have the discipline. So you see the monthly payment go down and you think, oh, great, this is more money I can spend. And so you don't solve anything by doing that. That's ugly. So Mandy, how do you do? Do you do all right? Oh, yeah. always amazing. It's I always <laughs> learn so much. Now I know what those little checks in the mail mean whenever I get them. I had no idea before. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen people get trapped in that same vicious cycle. One interesting thing though, when you talk about having to tackle debt, obviously it makes the most sense, you know, order your debts from the highest interest rate to the lowest and start with the highest interest rate debt first and work your way down. That's 
where the math makes sense. But, you know, we just wrote about a recent study that came from a bunch of different universities that actually favored the debt pay down method where you start with the smallest balance first and those little early wins by making those little early wins. You not only learn the habits of paying down your debt, but you get the good positive momentum and you're more likely to actually pay down your debt than people who start with the highest interest rate debts first, which I thought was super interesting. And I want to sort of shout it to the world. I think it's similar. If you've ever struggled with your weight and you tell yourself, okay, it's the beginning of the new year, I'm going to definitely lose a hundred pounds this year. And then it's May and you've lost 16 and you're like, my life is horrible. I'm just going to have an entire thing of Oreos and just give up. (laughs) I think the same thing happens with debt. I think if you say I'm going to lose a pound in a month, then you have an early win, you're instilling good, healthy habits, and then you're more likely to, you know, six months from now have lost 20. So I, I thought that was pretty good, solid findings and, and good advice. Well, I think that's fantastic advice. You guys every year help people with their debt cleanse. And uh, Nick, you referenced this a little bit earlier, your second edition of your debt guide. So what are you guys doing in particular at Magnify Money to help people get rid of this uh, debt problem we seem to have every year that you and I talk? We're doing a few things. The one is people have really good intentions in January. You know, the New Year's resolutions are, are out and top five every year is getting your personal finances in order dealing with debt. And what we want to make sure is when there's good intention and there's will in January, that we help direct people towards the actions that have the biggest long lasting consequences and impact. I get really sad when someone has all that, that good intent in January and all they do is cut out their Starbucks latte for the month and then, and then revert in February. So, so what we want to do is while there's that goodwill and and attention that they make the best decisions. And so a few years ago when we launched magnify money, I wrote an ebook, which was, you know, basically having spent my life in the credit card space, here's how you can build a plan to slash your interest rates, get out of debt and build a plan. You know, I think it was probably riddled with grammatical errors and a bunch of other <laughs> things. And that's why we now have a professional, a professional journalist on staff. And so the second edition is really something that Mandy would probably say the right first edition. So, <laughs> so we re-released that um, this year. I think it's a lot more professional, a lot easier to use. And we offer that for free as a free download on the website. And we also offer up either email or telephone consultations with members of the the Magnify Money and extended team if people have questions or want to talk about building their plan to, to become debt-free. We just really want to help people build a plan in the month of January so that, so that they can execute throughout the year. That's part of what we've done, but we've also done some interesting sponsorship work, which, uh, uh, which I think Mandy can talk about. Yeah, so we all know that I'm a big fan of Tiffany, the budgetista. I know her well. She and I co-host the Brown Ambition podcast, but I became a fan of her even before that when she launched the first Live Richer Challenge, I think a couple of years ago. And so I'm really excited that this year Magnify Money is actually sponsoring the Live Richer Challenge for 2017 credit edition. This Live Richer Challenge is all about helping people pay off their credit debt, which is completely on mission with our own mission. And Tiffany and I had a really fun launch this past weekend. There's tens of thousands, if not more than 100,000 women across the world um, who are participating. And I just, I'm really proud of Tiffany and I'm really happy for her to see what a movement she's causing. I mean, you see the excitement. I've never seen a live chat where people are asking so excitedly and so happily, you know, what's, what's a charge off and what's a secured card and, you know, all these credit questions. And it's just like, yes, you're all the nerds and the geeks. That's what I like. (laughs) And Tiffany is just so talented at bringing people together and meeting them where they are and not making them feel bad for, you know, the situation that they're in, but really showing them a way out. 
And I'm really proud that we're sponsoring the Live Richer Challenge and, and going to be helping her along the way for the next, I guess, six weeks that it's going to be running. Well, she's got a bajillion people signed up, too. I was I was excited. Yeah, to- that's the scientific. That's the word I was looking for, a bajillion. Right, right. I'm not sure exactly where that falls on the scale, but it's a lot. I mean, it's more than a lot. She has tons of people signed up this year. It's really exciting to see so many people wanting to take control. Let's put it this way. You wouldn't be able to fit them all in your basement, Joe. <laughs> and plus, they wouldn't want to be down here anyway. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you got to like Bon Jovi a lot to deal with all these posters. So can you guys tell me any quick things before I have to say goodbye of any of the investigative stuff coming up at uh, Magnify Money? You talked about the subprime lending, but uh, Mandy, any other things you guys can spill the beans on? Um, Well, we should be running, we're going to be visiting um, one of the Literature Challenge participants and doing an in-person debt consultation with her and kind of do a fun money makeover for one of the Literature Challenge participants. But yeah, that subprime auto lending story is going to be probably out January or February, but just look for some really good consumer stories out of that. And I hope not so much focusing on the, the sad sort of victim story, but really focusing on the core, you know, reasons people find themselves in these terrible, you know, auto lending situations and then hopefully identify the real villains and, and show some real villains and show especially how they're able to keep operating day after day and, and suck people into, you know, this terrible, terrible product. I love exposing that stuff. And everybody's yelling at their radio right now. How do I find out more about your debt cleanse and also find out more about Tiffany's Live Richer Challenge? Do you guys have a link for me? Um, well, they can go directly to magnifymoney.com. Um, Tiffany has a group on Facebook called the Live Richer Challenge Dreamcatchers, um, which has just kind of become a force unto itself where all of the participants are communicating and, and sharing, and she does all the updates for the challenge there. Yeah, and if you want the debt guide, the Magnify Money, on the top right, it just says Get Debt Free. So if you just click on Get Debt Free on the top right, you'll uh, you'll be able to download it. Got that. So head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money, and that'll take you to that. And comparison places for the balance transfers, personal loans, all the different stuff we talked about as well as the guide. Thanks for hanging out today, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Happy New Year. A big thanks again to Nick Clements and Mandy Woodruff for more on their debt guide, stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And upstairs next is uh, Tiffany Aliche, the budget nista. <laughs> Tiffany's such great radio. Tiffany has done amazing things. She was on a few months ago talking about getting your financial act together, getting your budget together, and we're happy to have her back on the show. But before we get to her, actually, I like what Nick said, OG. Do not use sites like Magnify Money to refinance your debt. Don't do that until you solve the real problem because all you're going to do when you do a balance transfer card or a consolidation loan, whatever you're going to do, if you just apply for new debt, I just love that Nick brought this up. If you're just going to apply for new debt, you're not going to take care of the problem that's the root. You're just taking on more you, debt. You just dig a bigger hole. And I know Nick emphasized that a lot, but I think we got to emphasize that about 50 million times. You got to work on you. It's like the Stephen Covey thing, right? You got to have the internal wins before you have the external wins, right? Yeah, totally get that your house in order before refinancing. But then refinancing your debt down to a lower interest rate is an important part of the equation. I've seen bloggers that have said, well, I don't like, you know, I don't like refinancing my debt because I don't want another credit card. Well, if I'm a CFO of a company and I'm not getting the lowest interest rate on my debt possible, I'm wasting money. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to the market and issuing new bonds at a lower rate and expiring old stuff and 
this happens all the time in the real world. So uh, yeah, I don't understand why people don't want to do that with their personal life. It's crazy. All right, let's talk to Tiffany Aliche, the budget nista coming down to the basement. And uh, coming down to the basement, it's the budget nista, Tiffany Aliche. What's going on? Hey, it's the new year. I, not new year, new me. I think new year, no excuses. That's my that's my mantra. Well, that is good. And it's funny because your good friend Mandy, of course, and Nick Clemens were down here just bragging about you. How are people going to make 2017 a better year, Tiffany? Honestly, they're going to join my Live Richer Challenge. <laughs> it's free. It's our third year. We have over 260,000 women worldwide. It's all about credit and Magnify Money is our title sponsor. That's awesome. How does it work though? Because I know how it works, but people don't know how it works. What do people have to do? All they have to do is go to L for live, R for richer, C for challenge, lrccredit.com. And then you sign up. And what's going to happen is the next day after you sign up, you're going to start receiving daily tasks for about three weeks. And those tasks are going to help you raise your credit score and clean up your credit report. It's super duper easy. All you have to know how to do is basically read, write, add, and subtract, and you can change your financial life. That's awesome. Tell me, because you said this is the third year that you've done this. Tell me some success stories from the past couple of years. Uh, probably one of my favorites is a woman one year, she was writing me from a homeless shelter. She was on her phone. And she was like, this is basically all I really have left. I'm going to take the challenge. And I told her, do the challenge anyway, based upon, you know, what your life could be like. And she had just fallen on hard times. She'd had a job before, but lost it and so lost her house. I want to say a year and a half later, she messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I was writing you from my cell phone in the homeless shelter and you told me to do the challenge. And I did. And I just closed on the house. Oh, doesn't that just tug at you? Yes. What? I was bawling like a baby. <laughs> So that was like, whoa. And then then cool stuff like this mom told me she had never been on vacation. She did the Live Richer Challenge and her daughter graduated from high school that year. And she was able to pay for in cash a vacation for her and her daughter as a graduation gift. And I thought, how fun is that? So awesome. What do people get wrong about their credit? Because it seems to be like, I don't know, everybody's got the wrong ideas about their credit in them. I think people think of the amount matters. It's not really the amount of like what you owe. It's really the amount of what you owe compared to what you could potentially borrow. Uh, For example, you could say, oh, I owe, you know, $100,000. But if your limit is 10 million in relation to owing 100,000, it's not that much. You could say, I owe, for example, my fiance, he owed $400. He only had one credit card, but the limit was $500. So he owed 80% of what he could potentially borrow. It's that percentage that matters, the amount, that utilization, that's what they call it. So I think that's what people get wrong, that it's the amount that matters. It's not. But you know what people are going to do with that information that that's all that they hear is they're going to go just sign up for a bunch of new credit, which you and I both know people don't need. No, you don't, because opening up new credit is always also going to bring down your score. Whenever you open up new credit, you're giving away points. So I tell people to really protect that ability. So you can look at your credit all that you want, but anytime you allow someone else to look for, like say if you're applying for like a store card, every time you apply for a store card, you're giving away points. So it's really like a balancing act of knowing that like, okay, credit is not terrible if you use it properly. So I'm going to keep my balances low by not charging as much and paying off what I owe. And two, I'm not going to open up as much new uh, credit because I know I don't want to get myself into more debt. 
Awesome. It's the Liveracher Challenge. Credit edition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can sign up at lrccredit.com. And it's free on free on free. It's so awesome. Week one, credit knowledge. Week two, credit improvement. Week three, credit maintenance. What else is going on at the budget in East? I know you always have like 20 things going on. <laughs> I do. You know me. I can't sit still. Right. Somebody called me the Energizer Bunny of personal finance. I totally agree. You <laughs> it was Gene Chatsky. I said, I'll take it. Um, what else is going on? Um, my Live Richer Academy, we're reopening the doors coming soon. That's this online like university, basically, for folks who want to learn the next level about money, but in a fun way. I'm writing some children's books. You know, I used to be a preschool teacher. Right. And I said, you know, the babies need to learn about money, too, but in a way that's age appropriate. So I'm excited about that. Um, I don't know, just life, you know, trying to be out here. <laughs> well, call me when the children's book's done because we'd love to talk to you about that too. Okay, yeah, honestly, I'm I'm super excited. That those are really my passion projects. I have one in particular that I'm really excited about, really because sometimes you see these books and it's like, oh, for girls. And there's a children's book called The Cost of a Coney's Day. And a Coney's this little boy that I met because he and he and um his father and I are friends. And they have such a great relationship. And we hung out one day, the three of us. And I said, you guys are so much fun. You do so much fun stuff. Wouldn't it be great if I had a photographer follow you? And then kids could guess how much each activities cost. And at the end of the day, they could add up all the activities and say, you and your father, this is how much your day costs. And, and then we did it. And so we had a photographer follow them, just having fun, going to the park, going to the movies, you know, wrestling. And like kids will get a chance to guess how much each activity costs and then add up their day. That's so awesome. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out. No problem, Joe. You know, I love coming on. Hey, everyone. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm bearing good news today. I just found a consolidation loan on my own without using Magnify Money. How'd I swing that? Well, move closer to your speakers because you're going to want to hear the old truth that Doug's about to lay on you. So I was walking through the mall on my way to get some tighter jeans, and this guy Tony walked up to me and said these sweet words in my ear, NASCAR, snakeskin, wallet. I know, right? Stop me dead in my tracks. All I had to do was apply for a credit card. Yeah, of course I verified that the wallet was certified authentic snakeskin. I wasn't born yesterday. Knowing our little secret about me needing to consolidate some debt, I hinted that his timing might be right for this type of transaction, and I smoothly asked him if they had what we in the business call a balanced transfer option. He said that with only a 10% fee and 21% APR, I could easily transfer all $67 of my debt to his brand new card and the card would have a $250 annual fee. But, and here's the best part, I get the snakeskin wallet. Get this for free. Unbelievable, I know. I'm sure Joe will feature me as a guest soon as an expert negotiator. Here's the issue though. I thought my interest rate was only going to be 18%. So let's find out together and call it today's trivia. What's the difference between the interest rate you pay and APR? I'll be back with the answer and maybe an address you can write me for my autograph in just a moment. Hey, stackers, know what I love? 
I love saving money on things that aren't important. I'm not one of these people that wants to live in a cabin in the woods. Don't get me wrong. That's your goal. That's fine. But that's not something that I'm looking for. I'm looking to spend money on experiences that are fun and not spend money on stuff that I don't care about. You know one thing I don't care about? I'm not attached to my bank. So why do people stick with the same bank forever when banking has completely changed? Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money and you'll find out how much. You'll find out how badly your checking accounts performed. You'll find out how horrible that savings account you have is. You'll also find out that the debt products you're using are a big fat waste of time. So if you're going to consolidate your loans, why not do it the best way possible? If you're going to bank with anybody, why not make them the best possible? StackingBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And if you're looking at those student loans and you're thinking, you know what, the interest rate is way too high on those, we've got a resource for you, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. That's spelled S-O-F-I. SoFi is the leader in marketplace lending, and it's always interesting how a company starts. And SoFi is no exception. Dan Macklin tells us the story. Well, SoFi began at Stanford University uh, about five years ago now, and Really, it started because there were a few of us and we were amazed at how much student debt was out there. And we were equally amazed at how expensive it was. We had classmates who were paying 7% and 8% for their loans. And we just thought there has to be a better way. And we looked into it and there wasn't a better way. No one was doing anything. It was just completely 100% government dominated and no options for people. So we started so that we could offer people better student loans. I think it's a great lesson for any entrepreneur, don't you? Nobody's filling the hole that you want filled. Fill it yourself. And SoFi has done that. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash SOFI. And if you use our link, they'll give you $100 when you refinance your student loans or take out a personal loan to refinance your credit card debt. How about that? An extra $100 just because you're smart enough to listen to us. Hey there, money fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. While Joe says I can't let you write me for my autograph, jerk face Joe, I say write him and tell him that I should be able to send you autographs. That's what I say. But anyway, he did mention that I can pony up this week's trivia answer. So here it is. The question was, what's the difference between APR and the interest rate you pay? The answer, according to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the interest rate is the cost you will pay each year to borrow the money expressed as a percentage rate. It does not reflect fees or any other charges you may have to pay for the loan. An annual percentage rate, APR, is a broader measure of the cost to you for borrowing the money. So the bigger answer, while the interest rate is one factor you should measure, you should also ask about the other fees involved when choosing a loan. So as that guy on the radio says, now you know, the rest of the story. See ya! Yeah, the interest rate is that number that's on your mortgage that says, you know, your mortgage is 4%. The APR is that dollar amount that says you're going to pay $1 million in interest <laughs> in 30 years. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. The, the APR should come with that. Should come with the sound effect, shouldn't it? Mine usually does, doesn't yours? When you open up your Citibank statement, was, your one from your Chase one from Jamie Dimon, it doesn't go da da, or does it go wah wah wah? Like sometimes at Christmas time, 
it's like, wah, 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 you know, but like in the middle is fall or something when there's nothing going on. It's like, Da-da. it only goes wah, wah, wah when I open up my retirement funds. That's it. Well, yeah. Mine is like a box of cobwebs, my retirement fund. It just, <laughs> you open it up and it's like all like, sounds like Halloween in there. Ooh. I think, I think all kidding aside, it would have made the point better for some clients that I had back in the day. If I could have had some sound effects, they would have stayed on the path easier, you know? Yeah, and to think that Jack from CNBC took your idea. Sell, sell, sell. <laughs> <laughs> we could have had that. I wonder if he uh, trademarked that, if we could just borrow that here. Nobody would even think it was his, right? It was definitely your idea. Yeah, definitely my idea. Thanks a ton to Tiffany Aliche for coming down to the basement. Also, by the way, for more on what she's doing over at the Budget Nista, we'll have a link at our show notes at stackofbenjamins.com. All right. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's and life insurance's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they have been spearheading innovation within the life insurance industry by focusing on the two things you value more than anything else, your family and your time. And that's why they created a high quality and most importantly, affordable term life insurance policy that you can purchase entirely online. No need to wait several weeks for a decision when you can get one right now. Almost like that. We're going to call Haven life, the microwave of insurance where you're like, I will get back to you in a couple weeks and let you know after a complex physical and a bunch of other stuff. Nope. You can microwave that Bing. two minutes later. And it tastes better, too. Their term life policies taste way better than those ones you got to wait for. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to learn more about life insurance the modern way. By the way, note from our friend Brittany over at Haven Life. This is pretty cool. Haven has been quickly expanding. And uh, this, this just became available today. This is hot off the press, OG. What do you got? 48 down, two to go. Their press release says... Life insurance innovator Haven Life adds five states and Washington, D.C. to its coverage roster. So now, Connecticut, Delaware, North Dakota, South Dakota, Washington, D.C., and yes, Florida, you can do all those. They're still waiting on only two states, California and Montana. So, uh, and they say, you're not going to be waiting too long. So, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Congratulations to our friends at Haven Life because... You and I know something that most listeners don't know. Applying to sell life insurance in any state, but to try to do it in all 50, and each one has their own set of guidelines. I mean, New York alone is like a nightmare if you're an insurance company. Well, and that's why you see them have separate companies. Right. That's what, that's why it's the, you know, the such and such a company of New York. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you, it's just easier for them to have a separate company. Holy cow. All right, uh, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline today to our friend John. Say hello, John. Hi, Joe and OG. My name is John, and I'm a relatively recent listener and love the podcast. I have a question for you related to the e-read topic that Doug called in about a few days ago. That got you guys talking about Fundrise, and there are similar offerings from Realty Shares, etc. My question is this. It seems like a feeding frenzy right now around real estate transactions, crowdfunding, etc., I may be a bit of a contrarian, but it seems to me this is bubble-like behavior, the desire to get in on the action no matter what. Who wants to read the fine print like OG did during the call? So to me, it makes you very, very wary. If it was such a great deal for these sites, why aren't they investing instead of trying to get everybody else to? I would love to get your thoughts on this, but the sheer frothiness of it makes me want to stay far away. 
Thanks. Any color that uses the word frothiness is a friend of mine. Yeah. Winner. Yeah. I remember that conversation about the e-reads and that sort of jazz. The problem is, is that I believe that we're moving probably in that direction with this sort of stuff, but I don't think that we're anywhere near, anywhere near a a bubble on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also think that the frothiness, to use John's word, is created a little bit by the fact that you and I, for the past five years, have talked a lot about REITs and how they're way, way, way expensive. And finally, OG, people are making them a lot less expensive to buy. So there was this built-in demand, right, for people that wanted to get into REITs but didn't want to have the nastiness of a lot of the private REITs that are out there. So now that you can get private REITs without the heavy-duty commission attached to it, I think that is the frothiness. Yeah, you know, I'm still not a big fan of anything that's not terribly liquid unless you are really clear about what it is, you know, and, and timelines on it and what it's for and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think John's right that there's going to be a shoe that drops here, but it's not going to be any time in the near future. Well, you know where the we'll, shoe's going We'll gonna... know that it will be when you're getting your hair cut and they're talking about it, when they're talking about it at the bar, when your buddies are talking about it on the golf course, when everybody's talking about it. Well, the other place the shoe's going to drop is you're going to have investors. You and I know this from working in the trenches, man. You're going to have investors that are going to see some of that stuff that you and I read on that website. And they're going to think that that's, that, that that's pretty close to a guarantee, even though there's disclaimers on that stuff, man, it's just very deceptive advertising. Yeah. Um, and that always goes poorly, doesn't it? Yeah. It, uh, it eventually blows up. What do they say? There's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Yeah. If you're and- figuring out a way to get 13% a year compounded, you are taking huge amounts of risk for that. No matter what you say on your marketing. It's just no matter what it says the marketing. I mean, they got, we got 100 years worth of data to support that. And the more money you attract. Now, it is it is easier to do when you're managing small amounts of money. Yeah. As the fund gets bigger, it becomes harder and harder. Look at Fidelity's flagship fund, Magellan. As that fund was growing and didn't have a ton of money, I mean, that thing was a shark and Peter Lynch was able to do some great stuff. And how many managers have they gone through in Magellan since uh, Peter Lynch left? I don't know, 400. Yeah, but what you're talking about there is because so much money came in, they couldn't deploy it fast enough into either A, good investment choices. Right. So they used maybe substandard investment choices, kind of second tier choices, or they let it sit in cash. Both of those things detract from portfolio performance. And then what happens? Then they start not doing as well. And then money starts coming out of the fund at a greater clip than was going in. And now you've got problems because now you have to sell things at times when you necessarily don't want to sell. It's a, it's a very vicious cycle. It's funny as things change, remember that period, this might've been 2003 and four when things were starting to rebound again. And there was a lot of discussion about how People would go online and they would track, and people were doing this, it turned out throughout the 90s, smart people would track what those big funds were doing, like what they were buying. And because of the fact that, let's say that Magellan's trying to take, I don't know, $10 billion and put it into a spot, you're trying to put that type of money, you're trying to put, you know, $5 million into something, it's going to be, you're going to make a wave. Uh, so the more money that you put into something, the harder it is to get in. So they have to get in a little bit at a time so that they kind of try to cover their tracks. Yet it's fairly easy to see which way they're going. Remember that that whole thing about 
you know, you could pay people who would tell you what the big boys were doing and you could actually get in before the big boy was completely in and watch the, watch your money rise just because Fidelity was coming in behind you with most of the money. This is exactly one of the major downsides to index funds. They have to publicize what their trades are going to be well in advance. Usually the indexes change twice a year and usually uh, those announcements are about three weeks in advance. So everybody can get that information. Now, what was rather difficult in the 90s and early 2000s to get information on, especially like a private company like Fidelity, now every index company in the world is all going to do the same thing for their S&P 500 fund, all on the same day, all at the same time. So one of the major downsides to that is that they don't have that, that ability to be nimble in terms of deciding when they're going to sell or buy specific security because the index says today's the day we get rid of X and put in Y. And if you read that, you can front run that by weeks. Yeah. We'll work on the telegraphed information at a time. Thanks for the question, John. We uh, somewhat agree. Don't, don't completely agree. Real estate is still a good place to invest. And and I don't like anything that's tied up though. I mean, hedge funds, real estate, private equity, there's a place for that, but that place is the, Hey, let's put 50 grand in here once you have 5 million and and let it sit. You know what I mean? It's not, let's put 50,000 of my $51,000 retirement in it. If you'd you like know. us to throw out the Haven Lifeline to you, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And for more on Haven Life, it is stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Doug also brings down the mail. And uh, besides his credit card statement, he brought down this note from Derek that we started on on Monday, if you remember, OG. Derek, as I mentioned, had a couple different questions. And Derek's second question is a complete pivot from the first one, which is why I saved it for today. He wants to know, what are the tax benefits of a simple IRA? And it's funny because when we talked about Suzanne Lucas's uh, article about retirement plans early in the show during the headlines, Uh, This is one of the ways that people that are self-employed can put money away. So tax benefits of a simple IRA, OG. Simple IRA is just like a uh, 401k in terms of its structure. You put money in pre-tax before you're taxed on it, just like you would your pre-tax 401k. Your employer is required to give you some sort of match. Uh, There's some different variations of that. The most common one is a dollar for dollar up to 3% match, although there's a couple of different choices that they have there. And... um, you know, it just gets invested just like any other investment account would that you choose. And that investment company or brokerage house, money comes out taxable when you retire. The biggest difference with simple IRAs is that the money has to stay in the simple IRA for two years. If you start working at a company January 1st, you work there for six months, they have a simple IRA and then you change jobs. A lot of times you think, well, I'll just roll my 401k over to my new company or to an IRA. You can't do that with a simple IRA until it's been in the account for two years. But, um, I think that's just to help the burden of the small business person not having to to handle all that. So if I've been with a company 14 years, I can take the first 12 years worth of contributions out and then the last two years have to stay in? Or is it once I hit two years? Yep. Once I hit two years, I'm fine. Then I'm fine. Okay. Uh, The day after I can take it back out. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that. The reason it's called a simple IRA also, Derek, is because for small business people, much easier record keeping and easier to set up than a 401k. 401k has some record keeping requirements yeah. that make it a little more onerous. But if you have no employees or just a couple employees, a simple IRA is often. Yeah, you can a- have up to 100, I think, for a simple IRA. 
So very simple, low, low cost. Good stuff. Thanks for the question, Derek. If you've got a question, once again, the Haven Lifeline is stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. If you'd rather send us a letter, it's joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks also to people that have left us a review. Had a couple reviews come in just since we recorded the last episode uh, just a couple days ago, OG, which is nice. A couple more five-star reviews. So thanks to everybody who's taken the time to review the show. That shows people exactly what they're getting into when they listen to the Stacky Benjamin Show. Uh, Best financial podcast ever. I like the superlative of that one. Best ever. Jay Domsky says, I was turned on to this podcast a few months ago when I saw Kiplinger's Name It Best Financial Podcast of 2016, which is true. So thanks to Kiplinger and also to Jay Domsky One for the fantastic review. Uh, that's going on Mom's Fridge. If you could take the time to leave us a review, that'll help us a bunch as new listeners decide whether they think the show's for us or not. That's it for you for the week, OG. I'm back here on Friday with another roundtable episode. We have a mostly listener roundtable on Friday. I've wanted to do this for a long time. We have listeners come on. So we have one podcaster, our friend Doug Foley from the Happiness of Pursuit podcast, and then uh, two of our listeners, a very articulate people, Nathan, who you and I met in uh, Oregon when we were there for our team meeting with Kathleen, our business partner, and then also our new friend, Christy, coming on the show. And then, as always, we have the FreshBooks FinTech segment where FreshBooks help us help you find out what's cool and new in the world of FinTech and the world of work. So that's all happening on Friday. But uh, go stack some Benjamins, everybody. We'll see you later. Well, everyone, I'm sure you learned a ton on today's show, but let's tackle the top three, shall we? First, Nick and Mandy have it right. Start planning for the holidays 2017 today so you won't get into trouble at the end of the year. Second, we agree with Nick. Don't refinance debt until you have a plan in place to pay it off. By opening up new cards or new debt, you might just be asking for trouble if all you're doing is shuffling money around. But the big lesson... If you're going to get a consolidation loan from Tony down at the mall, ask for the snakeskin wallet and a free beach towel. That way, you're more than justifying the $250 annual fee. Am I right? Special thanks to Nick Clements and Mandy Woodruff from MagnifyMoney.com for joining us. You'll find their debt cleanup guide at StackingBenjamins.com forward slash MagnifyMoney. Thanks also to Tiffany Aliche, a.k.a. The Budget Nista, for joining us. Thanks to Devin Carroll and our friend Matilda for helping us with a special French lesson. Now if we meet Nina, we can pepper her with at least one question about our health savings. You'll find Devin's Big Picture Retirement Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll have a link on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Need help with your financial plan? If you'd like OG to help, Head on over to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG to schedule an appointment to talk about your money. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. The show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. 
Special thanks to Tony down at the mall for throwing in the beach towel once I promised to mention him on the show that he's really a good guy. And ladies and gentlemen, if you sign up for his deluxe platinum card, you can get real cubic zirconium jewelry, and he said he'd give you a back massage. Plus, that card only has a $400 fee. Totally worth it. Welcome to the after show, the part of the show that doesn't exist. For those of you new to the after show, here's the rules. What happens in the after show stays in the after show, including, and I think this is only the second or third time that we've done this. We have a guest in the after show, and it's our friend J.D. Roth from Money Boss. What's happening, sexy? Yeah, well, not a whole lot. I'm uh, diligently shirking work so that I can uh, talk to you. Yeah, well, excellent, because we're going to talk about something very important. And it's this movie you and I both saw in the closing days of 2016. Let's let's play a quick trailer. This is a movie from some little known thing. Most people haven't heard of this, JD. It's this this <laughs> franchise called Star Wars. Have you heard of that? Well, I have because I saw that movie. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Very obscure. So let's play a little clip. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. Can you be trusted without your shackles? Let's just get this over with, shall we? We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know how to destroy it. If you're really doing this, I want to help. been recruiting for the rebellion for a long time. We destroyed our home. I fight the empire now. I fear nothing. All is as the force wills it. All is JD as the force wills it. This <laughs> this is a uh, Star Wars story. It's not part of the main piece, and these are all new characters. None of the main characters appear until the very end. Actually, I take that back. You have a few people. You've got a couple of the bad guys, the the Empire guys that you've seen before, maybe a couple people that are smaller Grand characters. Moth Tarkin. Yeah, that's a, you know more about the names than I do. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Oh, I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. Yeah, so, uh, so a lot of the same people. And this is the story of how they, if you remember A New Hope, the episode four, which is the very first Star Wars that was in the late 70s, how they had the plans for the Death Star. This is the story of how they went and got those plans for the Death Star. And so it stars a uh, young woman who has a dad who is, at the very beginning of the movie, you see that he's uh, being recruited to come back. It looks like he's been hiding from the Empire, and he's, he's a scientist, and they're trying to bring him back to build this thing that ends up being the Death Star 
So he protects his daughter and hides her in a hole. And then uh, a guy finds her who is a, um, who's uh, kind of a, a, a rogue dude. And she ends up, I guess, shirking everybody and, and becoming very early in the movie. She's, she's in a prison, kind of is a lost soul. And then she, of course, gets recruited by the rebels to try to go after and find this. And she ends up having a lot of help. And like every Star Wars movie, she uh, those those helpers all then a bunch of merry men band, band together and against all odds work to uh, go get the plans for the Death Star. And if you've seen any of the Star Wars movies, you know this is not a big spoiler, JD. They get the plans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that has to be the case in order for the first one to happen. Right. Or now it's the fourth one. Yeah. It's also confusing. Yeah. So did I miss anything? Is there anything else we should tell people without getting too much into Spoilerville about this movie? No, I would say that uh, one thing that I think it really captures, I think, the look and the feel and the vibe of the early Star Wars movies much better than any of the movies since have. So I, I think that's important to know. Yeah. Maybe not the themes or anything, but the actual look and feel of the universe is, is very spot on. Did it surprise you, by the way, that there wasn't the crawl that they have at the beginning of all the other Star Wars movies? No, I mean, that makes sense because this is supposed to stand outside of the main storyline. So I figured it made perfect sense because the crawl is this tribute to the old movie serials from uh, the 1930s and the 1940s. And back then you had this crawl to summarize what has happened before. Since this is supposed to stand outside the main storyline, you don't need it. Yeah, I like the fact that they didn't have it. I thought that was pretty cool. It made me feel very comfortable, made me feel at home with it. So what did you think? You and I, you and I, um, well, well, let's see. What did you think of this movie? Well, I did not hate it, but I did not love it. I really liked The Force Awakens last year. Just some background. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. I'm right in the wheelhouse for when these movies were, were released. And I think you probably are too. Sure, right. Uh, I was maybe eight when the first Star Wars movie came out or fourth, if you want to call it that. And so I grew up watching the Star Wars movies, but more than that, reading the books over and over and over again, and especially the comic books. I mean, I just immersed myself in that universe. Uh, I loved it. And uh, so I I loved the original movies, Uh, not so much the Ewoks, but everything else. I hated the prequels, not not everything about the prequels, but a lot of the prequel stuff I, I did not like because I felt like it just, it wasn't the same world really. No, it I wasn't. Thought, Too goofy. I, yeah. I, I thought, I keep saying this, that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon makes for a much better prequel to the three, the original trilogy than the trilogy that George Lucas made. You go watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and imagine that in the Star Wars universe and you're like, oh, that's the prequel we should have had. I never thought about that, but I love that movie. I, that is, I a, that's, that's, that's one of my all time favorite movies. Yeah, it's fun. I, I've lost the train of thought here, Joe. I forget well, let's, what question well, I was answering. Well, no, let's talk about this because you said that you didn't love it, which surprised yeah. the hell out of me. Why didn't you love this movie? Because I well, did. Okay, first of all, I, I think they got the look and feel right. The world, the universe they've created, it's awesome. Yeah. The characters individually are awesome, but the implementation is pretty poor. And there, there are a couple of things that I really don't like. First of all, there are far too many characters that are given – no exposition, so we don't care about them. We just don't care about all these characters. It's, like who? Let's I, talk I, about, let's peel that onion a little bit. Give me a couple characters that you really had no feel for. <laughs> well, almost all of them. Jen, the, the main character, she's great. We, we've got a, a central character we can latch onto. Yeah. And then there's like, I don't even know the actor or the character name, the like uh, rebel guy that she's going around with. Okay, he's okay too. 
But then there's like all these supporting guys, including this like mystical monk like guy and his friend. And we never get any real tie to them. We don't care. We, we don't care about their story. They just kind of appear randomly in the story. And then they're there uh, supporting. And then there's all sorts of uh, other uh, people hanging around. Oh, yeah. The, the droid was great. The droid was really a, a refreshing addition, I thought. Yeah. Uh, if we got to understand him because he had a strong personality. But these yeah, so other, they, they were more like meant to be cool and to appeal to uh, young men than anything else, I thought. Let's tell people who haven't heard or haven't watched the movie yet. So there's a droid that's a helper of this guy that's working for the rebels. I'd say the guy working for the rebels is the supporter of Jin. And you're right. I don't remember yes, his yeah. name either, which might be a problem. But then these other two guys that they meet in this town that they go to, the monk who is a student of the force and his kind of right-hand man, uh, these two guys, these two guys, but if we would have given them more time, I guess I see what you're saying, but if we had given them more time to do more exposition on, yeah. on their background and stuff, I think that movie would have been, been six hours long. Well, but I think it could have been done because this ties into the – it doesn't have to be six hours long because let's get to the other thing that I really had a problem with, and that is the final battle scene goes on for something like a half an hour or maybe even longer. It is just far, far too long. It's not as convoluted as the uh, uh, battle scenes in Attack of the Clones or uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith where you can't even follow them. Right. It's just a mess. Here you can actually follow the battle scene, but it just goes on far too long, and because you don't care about the characters – it doesn't matter. You just it gets tedious. My girlfriend was like, she said, "Man, that last half of the movie was so boring." Is what she told me. Even though it's supposed to be very exciting and lots of explosions and lots of action. And so I think if they had spent instead of making that last action scene half an hour long, make it fifteen minutes long and take fifteen of those minutes and do more exposition, I think it would have been a much more effective movie. It could have been. It moved very quickly from when they're leaving the everybody almost dies partway through the movie on this planet they barely escape. I felt like at that point, the movie was moving very, very quickly through a lot of that stuff. Did you feel that way? Like all of a sudden they're the, um, uh, uh, you know, and I don't want to spoil this movie too much. But, I know, I know. <laughs> but, but the guy they're there yeah, to know, visit. I, I felt that the whole, I think in general, this movie is not patient. So one of the things I really liked about the original Star Wars, and not everyone agrees with me, is at times, the pacing is very slow. New Hope can be very slow. You've got Luke just standing, looking over the crater on Tatooine, looking at the sunset. And uh, that would never happen in Rogue One because it would slow the movie down. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. But I do disagree. I I agree with the fact that that, that action scene is long. But I felt like, so the monk guy, whose name I don't remember, and his right-hand man, like the story of them. His name and, you don't remember. Yeah. See, th this is the thing. You went to see the first Star Wars movie. You remembered all the names of everybody. That is here, true. I have to look up the name of the main character. Yeah. But what they go through at the end, I like that sequence. I thought that mm -hmm. sequence was yep. was pretty good. And then I also like the sequence of the, there's a fighter pilot in the movie who nobody believes partway through and they kind of question his allegiance. And I did like that too. I thought it was pretty cool that everybody's kind of questioning everybody. Like you have this feeling after watching the first six Star Wars movies, like the rebels are all one big happy family, right? right. And in this right. movie, it's very clear that they're not. And that some of them are actually, you know, shady characters and really, you know, like any revolution, you've got a bunch of a-holes in the revolution. <laughs> and you've got mixed – it's just like the United States. There's this myth that uh, the founding fathers were, were united in one belief, and they just weren't. They banded right. together for one purpose at one time, but they had all sorts of different motives, and it's the same thing with the Rebel Alliance. I did, and, I did like that about this movie. 
Yeah, and I agree. And I think it uh, it goes back to something that was really great in the first couple of movies where you had this idea that the universe was vast and there's all these different interests and all these different things going on. And then when George Lucas got to the prequels, he made the universe so freaking small by making everything interconnected and all of a sudden we're dealing with this royal family essentially. And it just made everything too small, whereas before it seemed vast and we they were just like pawns. And that's what I think Rogue One gets right too is that everyone seems like a very minor piece of a puzzle, especially by the end of the movie. Yeah, and, and I do agree with you there because I like it that way. I've read some critiques that didn't like it. One specifically, I think in The Guardian where they talked about how they didn't like, like how this movie didn't explore more, how near the end it it was too careful to make sure that it lined right up. But I really like the mm. fact that it lined right up. And OG was saying earlier that you watch the end of this movie and then you go back and you watch the very beginning of episode four and a lot mm-hmm. of that stuff that happens right at the beginning with Leia, it's amazing how it just segues right into it. Like, oh, yeah. Like they really do a great job of making sure that it's, I mean, like literally right into it. Like this movie ends and that movie picks up like, what, 2.5 seconds later. Yeah, it's awesome that way. Yeah. Well, the movie. So, I, I did not hate it. Okay. I want to make that clear. I just thought that it was a missed opportunity. It was like, uh, is your run of the mill average Star Trek episode instead of being one of the top Star Trek episodes <laughs> to yeah. draw a parallel to <laughs> Scale of one to 10, where would you put this? I put it at a five. It's just your average movie. Uh, see, I give it more of a seven. But see, anyway. I, I give. I'd give Forrest Awakens like seven, eight. Okay. And so I, I really thought, like I thought this was no Mad Max, which was way better. <laughs> <laughs> and whereas I give Mad Max uh, negative three, right? <laughs> I, I did that specifically to poke you. That was pretty good for everybody out there. Uh, JD and I disagree a little bit about Mad Max as well. But only on the, on the most recent one, Fury Road. I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the original movies, but the most recent one, I'm like, wow. Oh, so good. So good. But that's that's another battle another day. Hey, tell everybody, thanks for doing this with me. What's going on at Money Boss right now? Tell everybody that. Uh, At Money Boss, after uh, spending a year trying to get uh, my feet under me and getting a rhythm, I finally have the rhythm. And so I've been trying to produce content. uh, Oh, man, that sounds awful. It sounds like I'm a factory. (laughs) I've been trying to write articles a couple times a week instead of just a couple times a month. It's been fun. That's awesome. And we'll have a link uh, in our show notes to Money Boss for people that want to follow JD, what you're doing now. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Anytime you want to do movie reviews, I'm up for it. I think it's We fun. will totally disagree. Every Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine... You can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. 
Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.